0: Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hey, guys, this is one of the things that I really like about podcasts. The, the Just the breadth of creative shit you can do. On a podcast, Earwolf is doing this this thing where they have these improvised podcasts where people are creating like shows and musicals uh, just off the top of their of their of their heads, and it's it's an amazing thing to listen to. So, my dead wife, the robot car, is one. All right, that's a funny title, and it's hosted by Matt Besser, who is as you must surely know, one of the founding members of Upright Citizens Brigade. So this guy knows improv. My Dead Wife, The Robot Car, 10 episodes, improvised series. When Matt signed on to be one of the first testers of self-driving cars, he had no idea that the AI personality of its operating system was his dead ex-wife. That's funny. Guys, I don't need to tell you. That's funny. You get into the car, you turn it on, it's your dead ex-wife. It's like if Night Rider, Kit, you remember Kit, the car, if that was your dead ex-wife or your dead ex-husband or whoever, somebody that you didn't necessarily want to hear from. Who else is on it? Horatio Sands, great. Danielle Schneider, great. John Gabris, great. Listen now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash robot and use promo code obscure for a free month of Stitcher Premium, my dead wife, the robot car. Hosted by Matt Besser, who I've known for years and adore. I am not coming to you today from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library in the wilds of Connecticut. Instead, I find myself in a new location. I am north of the border in the fabulous city of Montreal, Quebec where I have come for the Just for Laughs festival and I'm speaking to you from my hotel room at the Hyatt Regency. I'm on the 13th floor and I'm looking out my window and there is all kinds of merriment below me. There's food trucks and uh, there's a big concert stage. It's er- it's in the morning right now, so not much is happening. The sky is overcast and it's as if a neutron bomb has gone off at a carnival. So everything looks very festive, but nobody is there to celebrate everything is kind of empty and I feel very confident that as the day progresses they will get many laughs but I'm looking out on this stage from my hotel window very distant stage and the other night the Beach Boys were playing and uh so I could see the Beach Boys from my hotel room and and the Beach Boys now the original ones I guess have to be close to 80 and I think there's only one or two of them uh, and they were, they were game. They were doing their best. And that's what it's all about, right? Whether you're very famous like the Beach Boys or very obscure like Jude, all you can do is your best. And there are days where you just feel like phoning it in and you're not really, you're not really going to give it all your all to Kokomo. But for the most part, you're really struggling day in and day out. And you're making the decisions that you think are best in that moment. And maybe they will work out and maybe they won't. But we are all sure to have regrets. And I was watching, as I was watching Mike Love, 75 years old, singing Little Deuce Coop, a song he probably wrote when he was 16 or 17. I was thinking, does he have regrets? This, did he envision himself seventy-five years old, standing on an outdoor stage in Montreal, singing "Little Deuce Coupe"? And if he had imagined that, would he? Would that have been a happy imagining for him, as he foresaw his future, as he worked towards his own Christminster, which was pop music success? Or did he want something different for this part in his life? Impossible to say. Let us turn our attention to Jude the Obscure. Where we last left Jude, he and Arabella had decided to part ways. Um, they'd had a big fight. She had uh, mussed up her hair and ripped open her bodice and run into the streets and said, look what my husband did to me. And, and Jude was just about to drag her in and said, no, I, I just, I don't have the heart. And she left and she has not returned. She has said her family is going to move to Australia if you don't have any objection. And Jude said, no, I really don't. I really don't have an objection to that. Here's the money from the sale of the pig. Here's all the other money I have beside. Please just go. From that day, he heard no more of her except indirectly, though her father and his household did not immediately leave, but waited till his goods and other effects had been sold off. When jude learnt there was to be an auction at the house of the dons he packed his own household goods into a waggon and sent them to her at the aforesaid homestead that she might sell them with the rest or as many of them as she should choose so he's given her every cent and now he's clearing out his own house and saying take this too. I remember we were just talking about the Beach Boys. Uh, a contemporary of them was Ike and Tina Turner, and I remember when Ike and Tina Turner got divorced um, because he was just an abusive asshole. I guess he sued her. Uh, you know, it was, it was a it was a it was a bitter divorce, and she said. Essentially, what Jude is saying, which is, take everything that I have, but leave me my name. And that I think is what's going on with Jude and Arabella. He just wants her gone and is, is doing anything he can to rid her, himself of her. He then went into lodgings at Alfredston and saw in a shop window the little handbill announcing the sale of his father-in-law's furniture. He noted its date, which came and passed without Jude's going near the place, or perceiving that the traffic out of Alfredston by the southern road was materially increased by the auction. A few days later, he entered a dingy broker's shop in the main street of the town. And amid a heterogeneous collection of saucepans, a clothes horse, oh, right, a clothes horse. That's, I get, uh, what is that? Is that that a thing that you put clothes on? Let's say it is. A clothes horse, rolling pin, brass candlestick, swing looking glass, and other things at the back of the shop, evidently just brought in from a sale, he perceived a framed photograph which turned out to be <laughs> his own portrait. <laughs> I mean, how sad is that? He finds his own essence in a pawn shop amid the tawdry bric-a-brac of his in-laws' ex-possessions. It was one which he had specifically taken and framed by a local man in bird's eye maple as a present for arabella and had duly given her on their wedding day on the back was still to be read jude to arabella with the date she must have thrown it in with the rest of her property at the auction i'm just gonna sit with that for a moment because it's really breaking my heart I mean, so much breaks my heart these days, but that gesture of goodwill thrown into basically a U-Haul box to be left for the garbage men just breaks my heart. Oh, said the broker, seeing him look at this and the other articles in the heap and not perceiving that the portrait was of himself. It is a small lot of stuff that was knocked down to me at a cottage sale out on the road to Mary Green. The frame is a very useful one if you take out the likeness. You shall have it for a shilling. The utter death of every tender sentiment in his wife, as brought home to him by this mute and undesigned evidence of her sale of his portrait and gift, was the conclusive little stroke required to demolish all sentiment in him. He paid the shilling, took the photograph away with him, and burnt it. (laughs) Frame and all. He has given her an object from his heart. He has found it crumpled in the waste bin. He has retrieved it, smoothed it out, smoothed out his own heart, and burnt it to ashes. So that's good. I'm trying to put myself in Jude's place right now. I would be what, 22, 23 years old. I've studied my ass off for years to do a thing. I got a job that is fine, but I'm not in love with it. So, so that I could better pursue this thing. And then I, uh, I meet this girl and I think I'm in love with her. It turns out she hates me. I've given up everything and now I'm starting all over again. How do I feel at this moment? Well, I might feel like burning up my own image and, and taking the ashes to the wind, which is essentially what's happening here. Two or three days later, he heard that Arabella and her parents had departed. Good. He had sent a message offering to see her for a formal leave-taking. Why, Jude? Don't do that. But she had said that it would be better otherwise, since she was bent on going, which perhaps Was true. On the evening following their emigration, when his day's work was done, he came out of doors after supper and strolled in the starlight along the too familiar road towards the upland whereon had been experienced the chief emotions of his life. It seemed to be his own again right he used to wander these uplands by himself solo going to the the brown house and looking out at christminster and dreaming of what might be and then a little bit later he found a gal and together they wandered these uplands and clasped hands as they lay among the pigs and now the uplands are his again. He could not realize himself. On the old track, he seemed to be a boy still, hardly a day older than when he had stood dreaming at the top of that hill, inwardly fired for the first time with ardors for Christminster and scholarship. Yet I am a man, he said. I have a wife. More, I have arrived at the still riper stage of having disagreed with her, disliked her, had a scuffle with her, and parted from her. He's saying, not only am I not a boy anymore, I am a man, a man who has fucked up his marriage. I've, uh, which which in this sentence seems to be uh, a kind of preordained thing, because he says, I have arrived at the still riper stage, <laughs> which is to say, when you get married, that is sort of a, a pre-ripe stage. And then you'll get to a riper stage where you will, you will split up because you hate each other. Now, by that measure, guys, I am still ripening, because although my wife and I sometimes uh, quibble and quabble, we do not hate each other we definitely have disagreed yes we have definitely disliked each other yes we have had scuffles though not physical scuffles but we have not parted so what jude and arabella should have it should be i disagreed with her disliked her had a scuffle with her entered couples therapy with her and then maybe you wouldn't have to part with her but i but i think any good therapist would say this is probably for the best because the relationship was built on lies Shall we take a break now? You're listening to Obscure. Okay, I'm going to throw out a word for you that you've probably never heard before, because it's so kind of sci-fi and cool. The word is ambisonic. What, Michael? What? What is ambisonic? It is a new technology. It's a microphone, right? That captures 360 degrees of audio. So the new Marvel podcast, Wolverine, The Long Night, is using this technology. So if Wolverine, for example, is fighting someone on the floor, you hear the sound beneath you as if you're standing over them. But your ears don't move. No, it's your brain. Your brain is—it they, they literally moves your brain. It's cool as hell. I want to get it for Jude the Obscure but it would be pointless cuz i'm just reading a stupid book but this is there's like fights and there's like action and there's chases and you just hear it moving all over your head there's a behind the scenes video where richard armitage who's playing wolverine is like literally wrestling the actor scott adsit on the floor of the studio and you can he- like you hear it but i mean like you you're experiencing it like in an ambisonic way listen to wolverine the long night for free in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or visit wolverinepodcast.com for more info. Marvel just released Wolverine The Long Night, their first ever scripted podcast for free. You can hear it right now, online, or in your podcast app. And and here's what happens. Uh, It starts off when a fishing boat is found off the coast of Burns, Alaska right? And then you got two special agents, Sally Pierce, Tad Marshall. They arrive to find out who or what killed the crew. Their primary suspect, a drifter named Logan. Holy shit. Yes, Logan. But the police won't cooperate. And there's more going on in Burns than meets the eye. The podcast stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine. You might know him as Thorin from the Hobbit movies with Celia Keenan-Bolger as Agent Pierce and Otto Asando as Agent Marshall. Also featuring Bob Balaban, Scott Adsett, Chris Gethard. You have not heard anything like this before. The sound design, the acting, the writing, amazing check it out. Listen to Wolverine, The Long Night for free in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit wolverinepodcast.com for more info. Back here on Obscure, and we're at a pivotal moment in the book, If I don't say so myself, although having not read the book, I don't know where the pivots are, but let's just say it's a pivotal moment. Jude and Arabella have parted ways, and here we are with Jude. He remembered then he was standing not far from the spot at which the parting between his father and his mother was said to have occurred. A little further on was the summit whence Christminster, or what he had taken for that city had seemed to be visible so now he's saying and this is this is interesting to me it was a declarative fact earlier in the book that he could see Christminster from that hill but now Thomas Hardy is saying Christminster or what he had taken for that city in other words Christminster may have been a mirage this entire time here he is stuck uh, just outside of Alfredston knowing where Christminster is his heart yearning for Christminster, his every fiber of being wanting to go there. And then he had been waylaid by this paramour. And now he's back on the hill looking out towards Christminster and thinking to himself maybe it was never there to begin with. Maybe when Mike Love and Brian Wilson and the rest of the Beach Boys were, were writing Little Deuce Coop, they were aiming for something that turned out to be a mirage the entire time. And I think so many people can relate to this. This idea, and this gets back to the the root of what we've been talking about the entire time of obscurity, this notion that you are born into obscurity and you have to scrabble to make your life less obscure. You have to assert yourself into the world and you're aiming towards something. In the Beach Boys case, it it was global success and they achieved that in my case, it's been marginal cable success. And I have achieved that. That's not what I was aiming for. In Jude's case, it was just to kind of get out. That's what he was aiming for. Now, there's three, like it's not, we're on a spectrum here. Right? Like Mike Love and the Beach Boys, like they absolutely achieved what they were searching for. I was searching for more, didn't find it, but found something. Jude was searching for more, has not found anything. But I think all of us, including Mike Love, would say that we all have our Christminster, right? We all have burnished into our souls this dream. And it always, I think, turns out in some respects to be a mirage. Because whatever that thing you're aiming for is, basically, you're you're hoping for the same result. And the same result, I think, I think, If I'm talking about myself now, and I suspect every single other human being on the planet is feeling like you belong, feeling like you have a place in this world that you are secure and the you are loved. And I don't know that fame will give you that. I certainly know that marginal basic cable celebrity won't give you that. And Jude now is maybe thinking that getting a doctor of divinity won't give you that either. So what is going to help Jude get over this dark chapter and on to the next? I don't know what uh, advice I have for him, but I am hoping that my friend, comedian and writer Jen Kirkman does, uh, maybe you know Jen Kirkman from her Netflix specials, I'm Going to Die Alone and I Feel Fine, or Just Keep living. She has also written two memoirs, I Can Barely Take Care of Myself and I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself. And in addition to making folks laugh on late night shows and as a writer for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she's still willing to take my calls. Jen, here's what's happening in uh, Jude the Obscure. Okay. Okay. Jude and Arabella are a star-crossed pair of lovers, which is to say that, which is to say she faked a pregnancy to get him to marry her. Smart? That's what her friend said. Smart. But it's not going great. After he found out, they had a big fight and she left after a little bit, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of violence on both of their parts. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't terrible violence. It was just a little uh, it was like a little shaking, a little slapping, a little, you know,
1: some light moonlighting violence,
0: very light moonlighting violence. Exactly. The kind of thing you might even request under different circumstances. Sure. And so now Arabella, she she's going to she's going to go with her family of pig farmers to Australia. They're going to start over again. And Jude's going to start over again. So the sympathetic one in this case is really more Jude than Arabella. The author, yeah. the author, Thomas Hardy, does not seem to like marriage very much. And, and as far as I can tell, does not seem to like women very much. Mm. So if you're Jude and you're heartbroken and you've been lied to and conned and you've just gone through a nasty breakup, what advice, if any, do you have for him about just getting over it?
1: Oh, man. You know, I'm not really great with getting over things. OK. I think what I would do is... First of all, you have to always ask yourself, what's my part in this? You can't make someone 100% evil because then what does that say about you?
0: That you're 100% good.
1: That's right. And as we know, people can absolutely be 100% good with no flaws. I'm one of them. (laughs) But I do think that you have to ask yourself, what's your part in it? That way you can have more compassion for the other person and anytime we have more compassion for other people, we can stop objectifying them. And I don't mean sexually, but I mean just seeing them as either the object of our hatred or the object of blame. My life didn't go this way. And you can actually let them go more. I would say to him, I don't think it sounds like he had a, a therapist, let alone a good one.
0: No, he, he really didn't.
1: But maybe a journal where he can look and say, well, you know, I probably wasn't even that in love. And just because she was pregnant, I said I was going to marry her. That's my part. And then she lied about it. Right. So he's allowed to say I'll never get over that lie. But I think that's like um, sometimes you hold on to something like that, like a lie so that you can be right about how much you hate them and want them out of your life, even though. You might not have wanted to be with them in the first place. Like He didn't. I mean, you're being very yeah. astute.
0: He, he recognized pretty, pretty much right away, hey, maybe this isn't the best lady in the world. But because she's pregnant, I'm going to sort of mentally adjust and make her the best lady in the world uh, to me.
1: Well, this is where women's rights comes in, right? If women had more rights back then, we wouldn't have to do these crazy schemes. We'd be able to have a kid on our own. And a credit card, you know, that's all this, this story needs. What he should do to move on is, you know, people can do the classic just find some other lady. Right. But this issue, whatever it is inside of him, is going to keep coming up like this extreme anger that's maybe a little disproportionate to the situation.
0: Wait a minute. What, what, where, where are you getting extreme anger? The violence? It was no, a, no, just
1: that he won't let it go.
0: I didn't say he wouldn't let it go.
1: Oh, he, I projected. I guess you
0: really did. You're really extrapolating. And
1: okay, so I don't know. You said to get over it, so I guess I assumed he's well.
0: Going. He's upset, but he. But I'll tell you what happened: is he basically said, "Go, go to Australia. Here's all my money, and on top of that, here's all of our furniture."
1: Oh, that was really nice of him. I've done that. Oh yeah, I did that when I had a divorce ten years ago, and or maybe eight. I don't, I don't know between eight and 10 years ago. I'd have to look at a calendar. Let's call it, let's call it nine, nine. There's a number for that. So the thing is like, I felt so guilty because I think I did realize during the marriage, God, I don't know if I, if that romantic spark was still there when we actually got married. Like I, I think I made a mistake and I felt so guilty about it that, um, You know, it took a long time to to divorce and to talk it over and to figure it out. But once it was there, I just felt really guilty. And I I think my husband was unhappy, but I don't want to put words in his mouth because I I still to this day don't really know. But
0: we've got him on the other line.
1: Oh, my God. This is great. (laughs) It's kind of an embarrassing thing to do your head, your tail between your legs. You've had this big pronouncement, this big party, this big thing. And you have to go back to your family and be like, oh, And we were together a long time. It was a short marriage, but a long, you know, engagement. And so we, um, I just said, you know, take everything, take the savings, take the furniture, just let me keep the actual apartment. It didn't help assuage my guilt. I would be interested to see where Jude goes from here because my husband went through the phase first where when I suggested official divorce, he seemed to get angry. And that's when a lawyer got involved. And that's when I was like, if you could stop suing me for four seconds, I'll just give you everything because mm. I just need, I need you to be okay. And then that seemed to assuage his anger. But then my anger popped up six months later when I was like, I just gave away everything. Like, this is crazy. I didn't, I shouldn't felt guilty about, you know, I saved his butt by speaking up when I did, we were still young. And so anyway, I wonder if Jude will later Get angry, mark my words, that you he think? just gave everything away. Well, I can I tell just, you one
0: thing he did. He he. As soon as it was over, he tried a couple things. The first thing he did was get really drunk for the first time, and that. Oh, did, this
1: is classic stuff.
0: Classic, and that didn't yeah. that didn't help. The next thing he did is he went. He walked. It was winter time, and he walked out onto the ice, and it was thin ice. And he jumped up and down on it thinking he, he would drown himself.
1: <laughs> Sorry,
0: I'm laughing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it was funny. And uh, but the ice wouldn't break. I mean, he, mm. he couldn't he couldn't even kill himself. This is how poor, sad, and pathetic Jude has been throughout this story to this point. What did you ultimately do after that anger to get over it? uh. Oh therapy. Am I right? Was it therapy?
1: I did some therapy, but you know, honestly, that doesn't even help sometimes because it's such a unique personal experience that I know that human beings basically have, I don't know what they are, but I would say we have about five problems and they manifest with different symptoms, with different people, maybe, you know, different habits, different whatevers. But I thought, you know, for me, my therapist wasn't divorced and sometimes you almost need more of a support group, like of other people who've been through what you've been through because psychiatric platitudes from a book don't always help. And I really felt like I was the only one I knew because I was, who was going through this in my, in my age group. Like some people weren't even married yet and other people, the divorce hadn't happened yet. And so I felt sort of ostracized because my married friends didn't feel comfortable being around me. They will deny it, but it was weird. Mm -hmm. And so I made some new friends. And so I feel like the less that Jude can feel ostracized from his, because other things are going to fuel his anger maybe. Maybe he will feel weird in his community or weird around other people. He needs to find people that have been through what he's been through. He has to feel less alone, because when we feel alone, I think our anger just stays there. I Oh, I have one more advice for him. Yeah. When he goes out with the next lady, Uh do not spend the whole courtship complaining about the ex. (laughs) Do not get into this weird story. She told me she was pregnant. I believed her like it's just going to make him look bad. No matter the crazier he tries to make his ex sound, the worse he sounds.
0: That's really good advice
1: maybe it's more third date talk, but he can say (laughs) over coffee on the first date, you know, I've been married. um, Right. So obviously, you know, I'm a guy who can commit, but I, is something, something crazy happened. And um, I really, you know, I'll tell you someday. And so she knows, and then maybe just as long as he tells it in a soft way where he's still, you know, the way that you picked up on the fact that this author maybe doesn't like women too much. You don't want to get that vibe from, from Jude, you know, you want to get a vibe of like, I had this thing happen. I'm very neutral. I'm just reporting from the sidelines. But you don't want to be out with someone who's like, and then and then, she do this. you know, you don't want a crazy person. Can I yeah. role play
0: with you for a second just to see if I understand what you're saying?
1: Sure. So Are I'm, you I'm out with you, mm-hmm. and,
0: and we're on our first date, and I say, mm-hmm. um, Jen, you know, I'm uh, I'm having a lovely time. You just seem Thank like, you. yeah, you seem like such a, a fascinating and interesting and funny gal, and I'm, I'm just really having the time of my life.
1: I just want to get married someday, you know?
0: Well, at some point, I'd love to get married. I should tell you, I was married before. Um, oh. I went into it with the highest of hopes, but the mm. fucking bitch, the oh. fucking bitch, oh, fucking um. ruined my entire fucking life. If I ever see her again,
1: people are staring. People are
0: staring at us. Oh, if I got a little carried away, I apologize. Like I said, I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah. I just I just have so much passion, so much passion and love in my heart. um, And if I I ever see that fucking bitch again, um,
1: I I, forgot I have an an appointment. Oh, right. Like five minutes ago. And yeah, if I don't get to it, I could have. um. I have to go. Oh. Thank you, though.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd love to see you again. I mean, um,
1: yeah. Um, direct message me. on I'm on Facebook.
0: OK. Hey, Jen. she's not
1: on Facebook. She's oh, not she's on not? Facebook. No. You just scared her.
0: Oh, I feel she like I screwed that up.
1: You didn't see me doing this because we're not in person, but I threw some money at the table.
0: Oh, god. Just,
1: just to pay half. Just to I just had to get out
0: half plus the tip or just half.
1: I didn't even know because I never saw the prices of the coffee. But I threw down three bucks. That should pretty much cover what I got, which was just a small Americano.
0: Because we did get that almond pastry that we shared.
1: I didn't. I was never going to eat it because I don't want you to see me eating on the first date. Okay,
0: but I did say, do you want to get this almond pastry to share? And you said, sure.
1: I was trying to sound agreeable. So you would like me.
0: Well, Jen Kirkman, this has been really, (laughs) really informative on so many levels.
1: Thank you. I'm really glad. I hope I helped just one person out there. <laughs> even if it was just, even if it was just you, <laughs> you definitely did. Peace out.
0: Peace. Jen Kirkman, friends, um, and with some solid advice there for Jude and and all of us really. And now we're going to take a brief pause and then get back to some reading. Welcome back to Obscure. I'm Michael Ian Black. We're reading chapter 11, and I'm just going to repeat where we left off. On was the summit whence Christminster, or what he had taken for that city, had seemed to be visible. A milestone, now as always, stood at the roadside hard by. Jude drew near it and felt, rather than read, the mileage to the city." He remembered that once on his way home, he had proudly cut with his keen new chisel an inscription on the, turning the page, back of the milestone, embodying his aspirations. It had been done in the first week of his apprenticeship before he had been diverted from his purposes by an unsuitable woman. He wondered if the inscription were still legible or legible still and going to the back of the milestone brushed away the nettles by the light of a match, he could still discern what he had cut so enthusiastically long ago. And now it shows the inscription that he has carved into the stone. It says thither. And then underneath JF, which stands for Jude Fowley. And then next to that is a graphic. It's a, like a little uh, emoji of a finger, a hand with a finger pointing off towards the direction of Christminster. So there in the fullness of his optimism at that milestone, he had inscribed his ambition, thither, his initials, JF, and a finger pointing towards Christminster. And we have said from the very beginning And again, (laughs) I'm just winging it, guys. I have no idea if if anybody would agree with my interpretation as I'm going, but, but in fairness to me, my interpretation is utterly thoughtless. But we have said that Christminster itself represents the opposite of obscurity, which in this case, I don't think is fame. It is a measure of success, not financial, although that will be a part of it, I think, if you ever gets his way to Christminster and, and completes his, his studies, it is about finding yourself in the world with purpose. It is about making your mark. And that is exactly what Jude has done in this half hearted but enthusiastic way on the milestone. The sight of it, unimpaired within its screen of grass and nettles, lit in his soul a spark of the old fire. Surely his plan should be to move onward through good and ill, to avoid morbid sorrow, even though he did see ugliness in the world. Bene agare et letare I probably didn't say that correctly. We haven't heard Jude speak of the old tongues in quite a while, right? We haven't heard him get excited about Greek and Latin since he met Arabella. To do good cheerfully, bene agare et latare which, and I know, please don't yell at me for mangling that, which he had heard to be the philosophy of one Spinoza might be his own even now. He might battle with his evil star and follow out his original intention. Wait, I don't know. I don't think I understand that. What is his evil star? Does that mean the evil, his own evil nature? Does he mean that the world itself is evil and that he is going to combat it cheerfully? Does he mean Arabella, his evil star? Who is the evil star? What is the evil star? He might battle with his evil star and follow out his original intention. Well, all of us are rooting at the very least for him to follow out his original intention. All of us want to see the wonders of Christminster. All of us want to see him don the robes and get himself to school and make something, make a man of himself in this world, in this uncaring, aloof world. That's what we want for Jude, We want it for ourselves too, right? We're coming to the end of the first part right now. And I feel it ever more keenly than when I started this book. This idea of obscurity, this idea of feeling rootless in the world, feeling like you do not know your place and feeling as though if you just had your own uh, North Star as opposed to the evil star to point towards, you could do good cheerfully in this world, By moving to a spot a little way off, he uncovered the horizon in a north-easterly direction. There actually rose the faint halo, a small, dim nebulousness, hardly recognizable save by the eye of faith. It was enough for him. He would go to Christminster as soon as the term of his apprenticeship expired. He returned to his lodgings in a better mood and said his prayers. Well, that is the end of the first part. And I am a little bit teary. I'm not going to lie to you because I myself have felt so much of what Jude feels, as has probably been evidenced throughout the course of this podcast. But I myself have uh, uh, battled with my own evil stars over the years and have wondered upon uh, the, own, the, the, the course of my own life over the years, have struggled with obscurity over the years. But I don't think I ever personally had a Christminster. In other words, I don't think I ever quite knew what I was aiming for. I sort of had a vague notion. There were things I, I wanted to do, and I've done them for the most part. But uh, but again, like it has felt like a mirage, most of it, professionally speaking, not personally speaking. But there's a note of optimism here which I'm not even going to be snarky about. I'm not even going to say it's all going to turn to shit for poor, sad, pathetic little Jude. Instead, I'm going to choose to believe that for at least a little while in his life, Jude is going to course correct. He's a young man. He is finishing his apprenticeship with the stonemason. He has rediscovered his own ambition. Thither, says Jude, thither, with a hand pointing, finally in the correct direction he knows what he has to do so he's lost some time and he's lost some um naivete about the human condition but there is one thing about this world is that and and jude saw it. jude saw that halo rising up above christminster there is always some light whether it be in wessex or way down In Kokomo, there is always light shining down on us if we just open our eyes to see it. Down below me, things are starting to stir a little bit, and I think it's going to be a good day here at the Just for Laughs festival. Despite all the troubles we all have with our own obscurity, there is always room for laughter. Thank you guys so much. I'm excited to have completed the first part of Jude the Obscure. And until next time, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. And be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. I was going to say a thrilling episode, but I'm, I'm humble. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, take it up with Thomas Hardy. Not with me obscure is produced by jennifer brennan mary shimkin and robin lynn who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by craig Wedron. special thanks to everyone at earwolf especially chris bannon colin anderson and the earwolf engineer team of brett morris sam Kiefer, and ryan connor if you would like information about sponsoring our show email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of connecticut i'm michael ian black